0: This episode is packed. It includes Demi Lovato talking about aliens, a husband who's probably playing too many video games, and this Netflix skept- spectacle excuse me, called Squid Game. We'll start there on this week's True Act Show. This is the best. One of the underrated talents for a broadcaster is the talent of the teens of what is to come. And I don't know what else I could do to intrigue you but to say that Demi Lovato is talking about aliens, uh, and then also there's stuff about Squid Game, an unbelievably violent show on Netflix, and the always popular topic of men playing video games who have wives and kids. Uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't make anybody bad, mad. By the way, I'm not anti-video game. I'm going to handle that with a lot of nuance. Plus, we have to handle some heavy things. There's just some reckoning coming coming, in different kinds of institutions, including in public schools, regarding some heavy stuff like sexual abuse. So we have a lot to do. We will get started on that in just a second. First, my name is Corey Truax. We are dedicated to smarter, deeper, better talk on The Corey Truax Show right here on His Radio Talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. I also get to serve as the pastor for teaching at Beachwood Church. Beachwood Church meets at 10... Well, that's not right. Beachwood Church meets now at 4 p.m., at Heritage Baptist Church in Greenville until our road can get fixed. And when that happens, I will update you. Hope to see you there. Actually, I love being in that church, the old high ceilings of the, the traditional churches. Makes people people's voices sound louder, like you can hear the people sing, and it's a ton of fun. All right, here we go. I was going through my normal week and saw the headline and listened to a story on NPR that a show on Netflix called Squid Game is now the most-watched show in the history of Netflix. Now, that's only reported by Netflix. Netflix, historically and famously, does not tell us who's watching what, when. They release none of their data. We only really know that shows are popular because people talk about them on social media. Netflix never actually reports their numbers, but they are saying Squid Game is the most popular show they've ever had. And that makes sense because it is a Korean show— So it can draw from the giant audiences in Asia, the most populous continent we have. And then it has found quite the audience in the English-speaking world, despite the show not being in English. And there's some meaning to look to underneath that headline. So we have The Thing. Squid Game is the most popular show in the history of Netflix. Squid Game is having this cultural moment... And there's some meaning we can pull, at least two or three, out from this thing that's happening out there in the world. I would imagine you've heard of it, and the numbers suggest some of you have watched it. So here's a quick summary. It's it's dystopian in nature, so it's not supposed to be uh, a show that is happening in the world. It's a, it's a world in which folks can get themselves into some trouble, into some debt, and be put into a reality game show. And you either can win the reality game show and... Win a bunch of money, or you can be eliminated from the game show. And eliminated means you are dead. You are killed violently, and from my understanding, uh, very vividly, violently. That the show is gratuitous in its violence and how gross it is. the The deaths and the violence and the uh, the gore are heavy throughout the show. And and apparently, it's also incredible. I'm hearing as I read. I'm not watching an episode. I'm not going to watch an episode primarily because I don't handle the gore well. I, I don't like seeing the insides of people's bodies on the outside. That's not my favorite kind of entertainment. Not That kind of intensity is not my type of entertainment. It, it doesn't sound like a horror show, but it sounds like the visuals could be horrific. And just some of that kind of intensity is not for me either. So anyway, all right, so that's a summary of what's happening there on the show. And I'm sure they're doing character development along the way. You know, I've, I've often said of, the Walking Dead, back when it was a good show, people would say to me, "I would never watch a zombie show. the The zombies are uh, are too violent, or you know, eating people or biting people is not a thing I'd ever want to watch." And I had to explain to them, "It's not a zombie show. The background, the world in which it's operating, is zombies. It's a zombie apocalypse, but it's about people, and primarily the primary the primary storyline of The Walking Dead." was what people will do to survive and what people will do to keep their family alive. So this is, uh, that's the story. It's about the characters. And the background, the backdrop of that is zombie apocalypse. I suspect, as I read about the show, it's the same thing. It's about the characters. And the backdrop is this horrific situation they find themselves in where they're in debt or in trouble and having to either die or win a bunch of money. So there's your summary. Now, here are some uh, some implications that we should take out of this. One, that cultural shift on the globe to Asia is clearly upon us. The cultural imperium of the last 100 years has been the West and primarily the United States of America. You would have had in the 60s in the United States what was called the I think it was called the British invasion where the Beatles became popular here and the Rolling Stones became popular here. And so Britain, 50 years ago, was still putting out some culture that would spread. But largely, the movies of the world are American movies. The athletes of the world are American athletes. You saw that in the 92, the 96 Olympics with a Dream Team in basketball, wherever Michael Jordan went, or that entire basketball team. It was a worldwide institution. The TV shows of the world, the musicians of the world, America produces those. The biggest stars in the world are, is American pop culture. We can see that as the West wanes, the Western world wanes in its influence, there cannot be a vacuum. Something must take its place, and we are seeing it come out of the East, out of Asia, but in particularly Korea, and or South Korea, and that is something we should pay attention to. We should pay attention to the fact that maybe the most famous musicians in the world are K-pop musicians, these boy bands out of South Korea, that the last Best Picture Oscar from, from the international film people was not given to an American movie or a British movie or a Western movie, it was given to a South Korean movie. And now the most watched show on Netflix, which probably means the most watched show in the world, is a Korean show. The, uh, the American influence over the imperial culture, the worldwide culture, is starting to wane. It's not gone. It's just starting to wane. And it's a culture out of Asia that is filling the gap. Now, it's interesting that all of those things I just mentioned are South Korean. It's K-pop. It's that Oscar-winning movie. It's this show. It's interesting that it's not out of China, not out of Japan or Thailand, Indonesia, not out of Vietnam, some of the other options it could be over in Asia. That should tell us something about the nature of freedom. China is largely a capitalist economy in a lot of ways. They, they start using capitalism around 30 years ago, and we see them coming out of poverty like crazy. But it is still a totalitarian system. It is not a, it's not a free system. They don't choose their leaders. And then over in South Korea, there is freedom. There is a republic, or a, uh, something like a democratic republic. There are uh, there, There's a culture there of ex, ex, of exploration, a culture there of uh, of vivification, whereas the the communist cultures don't allow that. And so here we are in a situation where there's a billion people in China, and they are not producing the next literature and movies, and shows, and music that the world consumes, it is instead the much smaller, but now at this point, more influential South Koreans. It's at least interesting to consider when you think about your own worldview and what kind of ideas should rise to the top. A billion people in China can't fill in the cultural gap, but a much smaller group of people in South Korea can fill in the cultural gap, and the difference primarily between the two groups, free people. And free people can be creative. That's number one. Two, so there's number one is the current shift. We're seeing a shift to Asia when it comes to cultural influence. Two, I kept seeing commentary that it was a show that was obviously anti-capitalist. And as I read deeper, into, by read deeper, I meant pull up Wikipedia and read the summaries of episodes. That's not really what it is. I think here's an important thing to take out of the show that's gone so big. We're in a cultural moment, certainly in the West, but apparently in Korea as well, where we do not trust people in power. There is a skepticism of powerful people. And I would also call it the institutions. There's a skepticism of the church and religion, a skepticism of governments, a skepticism of your schools, a skepticism of the media. Every institution is, is getting a skepticism of financial institutions like banks and markets. How does a Bitcoin become as valuable as it is? Well, there's a skepticism of the the banking system and of the Federal Reserve and all the different central banking systems. And so you have bubbling up a lot of skepticism of that which is powerful. And it doesn't have to just be capitalist. It, It is on the left and the right of the ideological spectrums that there are skepticisms of power. The left has its skepticisms of power. The left looks out of the world and says, It's the billionaires. I can't get what I want. What's ruining my life is that billionaires exist and they have all the money and I need to get it. It's that, uh, wh- who are the left's bugaboos? It's, it's the banks, it's the financial institutions, it is the markets, it's the big corporations. These are the people that I have skepticism towards, and I want to go after them. The right just has a different set of threats that they're skeptical of. They're skeptical of governments and the power gov- the power governments have. The right is skeptical of cultural hegemony. That's Hollywood. The fact that the, the what gets pumped in front of your kids on their TV and through their music and the movies is often obviously trying to indoctrinate your kids into secular, leftist, godless thinking. The, the right has its skepticism of nah, so governments, Hollywood, I, I would say schools as well. That's, that's growing on the right, uh, a skepticism of the school system. And so there's, in this show apparently, uh, it, it, there's an ethic of being against the powerful. And that is permeating the culture in every direction. Everyone just picks a different powerful that they're skeptical of. It is worth examining where those are warranted, where the skepticism are warranted, and which ones are less warranted. I mean, I just examined my own self. I am very skeptical of governments because governments can take from me my money, and they do. They take from me my freedom. They do. They take away my ability to save like I want or protect myself like I want, and they do it with a smile on their face. And then I just think about the things that the left are skeptical of, and they don't affect me at all. Jeff Bezos having a bunch of money has not affected my life one bit. The, 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 mor- the mortgage system being what it is has I mean, affected my life a little bit, obviously with a crash, but largely the things that those institutions do don't affect me. The governments affect me a lot. So number two, there's this thing in Squid Game that's showing we're in a moment, it seems globally, where people are skeptical of power. It's worth examining that in your own self and asking yourself, is my skepticism of power warranted? is it overwrought? Is it too much? Is it not enough? It's worth you taking a look at. And then final thing for me on Squid Game. I don't want to push too hard on this because I I can't make a law where there is no law, but there is an oddity to me, some kind of challenge in finding entertainment in the mutilation of human bodies. And I understand the argument about characters. Like the, the mutilation of human bodies is just in the background. It's not actually part of the show uh, or, or a core part of the show. I would just ask you if you are entertained by it. it. It is worth a self-examination. Why am I entertained and or why am I capable of seeing simulated, not just gore, but, but simulated human destruction and it doesn't, Maybe it doesn't phase me a ton. I had a conversation with a couple people about this, and it's just a it's worth a hard examination on the comfort we have with human destruction and violence. But one other point from that conversation, and we'll move on. In that conversation with a group of people, there became a question about Christians watching things with violence versus Christians watching things with uh, let's go with nudity and sexual content in it, in particular nudity. Because I, I found myself being very much close to the squid game person in this conversation. like I, I don't I can't find comfort and my conscience stops me from watching that, that kind of violence. It also stops me from watching anything with, with nudity in it. But there was an argument being made and I just want to address it. There, there is something uh, about being able to argue, well the, the violence and the gore in a show is obviously simulated. No one was hurt, so I know I'm watching simulation. I'm not actually watching violence. I'm not, I'm not ingesting into my mind actual violence, death, destruction. And someone tried to sort of argue, like, well, this simulated sexual activity in TV is different, or movies are different. No, it's it's not. It's what well, she said. Basically, said it's not different, but no, it's very different. Um, it is simulated violence. That's an actual naked person, though, on the screen that's real. What you're seeing there is actually quite, uh, quite genuine. And so uh, I just take that all in as a final word on this. Let's be mindful about what we watch and mindful of the cultural moment we're in. Recognizing that as the, the culture moves east, with its, or at least the hegemonic culture moves east, that we are prepared for that. We recognize that where we are in the culture that we're in a moment of skepticism, of power, maybe even our own minds and hearts, something to examine, and then just a challenge, always the case, to be mindful of what we consume. When we come back, I want to do lots of things, including that Demi Lovato thing on aliens. Uh, there's Actually, there's a there's a ton here. That gamer clip, the video game guy that might be playing a little bit too much. We'll talk about all of it and more when you come back for the rest of The True Act Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. The saddest of reckonings is coming, but it is quite necessary, and I will tell you about it in just a moment. My name is Corey Truax. Thank you for listening to The Corey Truax Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. You will find me there. You can also email the show at Show at gmail.com, Show at gmail.com. I hope to get to a message as well today on Facebook, but we will see how the timing goes. There are two things going on in the world of a similar nature that we should be aware of, and sometimes I'm not really this guy, but sometimes it is just worth stopping and feeling the reality of the experiences of other people. It's part of that mourning with those who mourn thing. We recently talked about empathy not being not being what we want, but having sympathy. So we'll do some of that right here. The leader of the Southern Baptist Convention, the executive committee leader recently, I'm not going to give you his name, it doesn't matter. He recently resigned. Wrote a uh, res- resignation letter that I did not find endearing. He has been leading the administrative arm of the Southern Baptist Convention for, I think it's, it's around a decade And he's resigning amid a real controversy in the denomination that I'm a part of, the denomination of Christianity that I love, and that does really good gospel work. The denomination in which my church finds its membership. There was a, a discussion this summer at the convention about the handling of both sexual assault, abuse, and how those are handled investigated, adjudicated in Southern Baptist churches, but also by very powerful people at the very top. And some some substantiated and some unsubstantiated stories were alleged of Southern Baptist leadership and how they handled women, some children, but how women were handled in sexual assault allegations. A few years ago, you might remember the Houston Chronicle had a long story that, so sadly, detailed real problems inside Southern Baptist churches, where pastors and youth pastors would take advantage of young people, people who are underage, so committing crimes, and sometimes with adults, but using their using their power, their influence for their own. Sexual proclivity. And instead of punishment being meted out, instead of sometimes the police being involved, because when a crime is involved, we give it over to Caesar. We give it over to the government to deal with the crime that was committed of a sexual nature. But sometimes it wasn't a crime being committed, but someone acting unethically. And instead of making sure that that person doesn't have access to the kind of power, influence, or people that would allow them to victimize again, they're just moved on they're just quietly allowed to resign and move on to another church where they might have done it again. And now the convention dealt with that a couple years ago, I thought, decisively. But then we are dealing now with leadership and how they might have dealt with some of these specific situations. So it's in that context that the leader of the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention has resigned because there's an investigation company a third-party outside investigation about how these things were handled. I don't have any inside knowledge to be able to say, I think he resigned because something embarrassing is going to come out about him. We'll find out. We'll find out who did the right things and who did the wrong things, and we'll deal with it. I don't look forward to that. I'm very sad about it. At the same time that that's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention, there's a story out of Loudoun County, Virginia that truly just blows my mind. Maybe it shouldn't. Maybe I'm naive. I didn't believe it when I first heard it. I thought, this has to be some kind of hyperbole. This is fantasticalism of internet reporting, of just trying to get the clicks. This can't be real. But as time progresses, it's very clear that what I'm about to tell you is true and apparently much more common than any of us want to believe. The story out of Loudoun County, Virginia, is that a young girl, fourteen years old. Actually, uh, let me just pause. Some of you might not want to hear the next five or ten minutes, and that's totally fine if you want to skip over it. Some of you have been through some stuff, and you don't need you don't need your mind going back to it, or you don't need it being brought up. So if that's if that's you, I am giving you that counsel. Depending on where you are right now, you might want to I'm, by mentally mentally where you are right now, emotionally where you are right now, where you can t- probably tell where I'm going, and you might want to skip the next five or ten minutes she was followed into a bathroom this young 14 year old girl in Loudon County and assaulted in some ways that I can't talk about I don't know what the words I'm allowed to use on the radio are but it's it's very it's very invasive and it was by a a, a biological male that caused himself calls himself bisexual and or transgender we don't know either one of these students names because juvenile records are sealed but we do know the nature of the crime the police report says with some very disturbing detail what happened to this young girl and what we find from the officials there in Loudoun County is not criminal proceedings for this perverse young young boy who did this he was transferred to another school and he did it again he did something similar Now, we saw that in that Houston Chronicle story that instead of dealing with the offender, dealing with the violator decisively, instead of just just letting him go away, just quietly sneak sneak away, and that's how it seems that Loudoun County is doing it as well. This has opened up a floodgate, though. I didn't, like, that, that blew my mind that that would happen in a public school. And as I started looking into it, I found that we have not updated the numbers since 2004, but the Department of Education had an investigation and published a study in 2004 that said it's probably close to 10% of public middle school and high school students, or excuse me, it was elementary, middle, and high school. So throughout their school lives will experience something like a sexual assault. Not anything as near as intense as this girl in Virginia experienced, but either through another student and what blows my mind from that story, uh, excuse me, that study from the department of education is it is way more teachers and administrators and school employees than I could have ever imagined. People with access to kids abusing kids sexually. And there's, I think a reckoning coming at least to Loudoun County. My, hope is there's a reckoning coming to the school system more broadly for allowing this kind of abuse to happen inside of its walls. And while I don't particularly have any affinity for the public school system and want to see its and want to see its reckoning, I'm at the same time finding this institution I love, the Southern Baptist Convention, and knowing I want the reckoning for us too. An institution that does not protect it's women and children. Does not deserve to exist. And I do suspect that when the third party investigation for the SBC Southern Baptist Convention finally comes out, it's going to be bad. It's going to be devastating. And we will have to deal with it. And I, I be, and I believe re reestablish ourselves and deal with it decisively, repent, find a way to move forward. But here's all I want to bring to you, and we'll, and we'll, we'll switch topics. We, we apparently do have a, a sickness, a sin, a sinful sickness, where over just my lifetime, we find in the Catholic Church, in American gymnastics, in the public school system, in the Southern Baptist Convention, adults sexually preying on children and it's more widespread than i would have thought. i mean i don't want to i don't want to scare you. i don't think your kids are at any kind of real risk. i think that that's too much of a presence on the internet where it's just like they're, the chances of your kids being in sexually trafficked is insanely high. it's not. it's insanely low. it's quite low. it's just more prominent and more common than i thought it was. and so it's reason to feel sympathy. it's a reason to be patient with those that deal with the consequences and the aftermath and the trauma. And it's certainly for those of us who have a place in any given institution, in your local public school, in your church, to be vigilant, to protect our kids, and to hold those accountable, hold the people accountable that would violate them. All right, I know this is a hard turn, a hard transition, but here's what I want want to do with the rest of the show. The rest of the show is this theme. Here's some stuff I saw and heard and I just wanted to share with somebody. And you are my listeners and you're my friends. So here's stuff I've seen and heard over the last uh, week or so of recording the show that I want to share with you. And if we finish all that, I have one message I want to get to from Facebook from one of you as well. All right, so here we go. Let's start with the thing I started, uh, I teased at the top of the show. Demi Lovato. I don't really know. I, sh- I always struggle with this. When I hear Demi Lovato's name, or her name is Selena Gomez's name, I never know which one I'm- is being referred to. Like, I have to Google, like, do the Google image and figure out which one is Demi Lovato and which one is Selena Gomez. And so, uh, Demi Lovato is mentally ill. I'm just going to say it out loud. Over the last couple years, she has had some erratic behavior in terms of her own appearance, but then also deciding she was, uh, she's been everything. She's been... And I think she, instead of being straight, she was a lesbian for a little while, then bisexual. And now I, th- I think she calls herself pansexual now. And she's genderless. I think she's, she's obviously a mentally ill person, struggling with any kind of identity. And recently has been talking about aliens. So I want you to hear this, and I have two thoughts on it. Uh, sh- uh, this is Demi Lovato on Kelly Clarkson. I think Kelly Clarkson has a show apparently. And so uh, she was on it. And here's Demi Lovato talking about her experience with extraterrestrials. So I woke up in my room, and there was like three beings. And then and they <laughs> they no. were like, do you want to see your planet? And I was like, oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. You were like, hell, yeah. I yes. was like, hell, yeah, let's go. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I like whooshed out of my room and was like hovering over the planet. And then all of a sudden, they're like, you want to see our planet? And I was like, Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah! Then I whooshed to this like pink and purple planet that I've never seen. Okay. She whooshed. That's a new verb. I'm going to try to use that in my vocabulary regularly. So, of course, there's she's obviously a mentally ill person, struggling with identity, but there's also this, I think it's worth mentioning. I don't like getting too mystical. It's not my nature. It's not even my theological nature. But that sounds demonic to me, actually. It doesn't sound just like mental illness. There has been, even biblically, been a confluence of those two things coming together. Mental illness, something physiological in the brain, some kind of maybe trauma or or trauma that caused an emotional disorder and demonic influences over that. Let's say we believe her, that she's not just telling a story and she has some kind of experience where she is out-of-bodied, seeing earth or obviously not physically but she's getting a vision for some other random thing what what we should should be seeing in that is not just making fun but recognizing that these two things there is true true mental illness amongst a, a lot of folks that come from fame if you've seen some of the Britney Spears documentaries coming out right now and you just think through a lot of the famous people of my childhood and how they've all gone insane, or many have gone insane, the things that happened with the Olsen twins, Lindsay Lohan, you can add in Britney Spears and uh, this person here. If you just think back through the show Glee that was on like 10 years ago, the various suicides and tragedies that happened with a lot of those folks, that there is a an obvious... Risk that comes with fame, we can see it. It's on display with the the mental illness and the things that happen with those folks, including here with Demi Lovato. But second, I, I want to tread lightly and tread carefully. But there is a real unseen realm, an unseen spiritual battle, and the the powers of this world are are off. There's, uh, let me say it this way. One of the trades that Satan wanted to make Je- make to Jesus in the wilderness was fame and power. D- d- worship me and you'll have all this fame and this power on earth is the deal Satan makes. I, I am not into the conspiracy world that says that's a thing that actually happens, that there are, are satanic representatives on this planet that go to people and say, we will trade you fame for your soul. I, I don't think those YouTube videos are particularly well Uh, documented or argued however there is the concept that the power of the culture currently resides in dark places and it's it's a it's a very real battle and those of us in my theological circles we tend to ignore it and we we ignore it at our own peril and so i i think i just want to bring this to uh bring it to this uh end and then we'll go to a break come back and i'll show share with you more things that i've just seen that i want you to see or hear about When I saw this from Demi Lovato, what it in part made me think was, spiritual warfare is real. There are powerful forces, unseen, arrayed against me and those I love, my church, and the kingdom of God. They are, in context, powerless and meaningless against the power of the Holy Spirit and the forces of goodness that we have. And so we should recognize that recognizing then we have the armor of God we have the the weapon of prayer and we cannot lose like we're we're powerfully uh, uh, equipped to fight the spiritual warfare and it's part of our lives that we should not we should not ignore when we come back I want to talk about that video game thing I talked about earlier and teased it. There was a very dishonest NBC clip. I also had a very interesting lunch here recently with a very prominent local pastor. I want to tell you about all of it when you come back for the rest of The True Act Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. I am not one of those guys who just says Gentlemen! Once you're past being a child or a teenager, put down the video games. I'm not that guy. However, there's a story here we all need to hear and think about when it comes to our use of video games as adults. We'll do that when we start here in just a second. My name's Corey Truax. This is called The Corey Truax Show. We're on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. If you want to contact the show, it's on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for me, Corey Truax. Find me there. I listen to a podcast with some regularity called the Love Thy Neighborhood Podcast. I think all of you would love it. Theologically, it's got some issues I think I'd poke I'd poke on, but they tell really good stories and have a mostly orthodox perspective. But I do, I do love good storytelling, good soundscape. They have all that. And it comes from a distinctly Christian perspective. So I recommend to you the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast when you get the chance. Of all the podcasts, you're being recommended all the time. I know it's a lot. Recently, they did a, episode called Where the Gospel Meets Geek Culture. All their episodes are named like that. Where the Gospel Meets Fill-in-the-Blank. So where the gospel meets homosexuality or transgenderism or abortion or uh, fill-in-the-blank with other stuff, environmentalism. And this one was Where the Gospel Meets Geek Culture. For my purposes, I had never really heard of such a thing. I didn't know that we called it geek culture, that being into comic books and the Marvel world like I am and Star Wars like I am, that I'm apparently someone who's involved in geek culture and part of geek culture that I don't really take part in is the video game culture where there's actually, I don't, I don't know. Actually, I I don't know enough about video games at all to even start handing out names. When I was into it at all, it was because you could simulate pro football on a screen. I had the Madden games and I sure do love to simulate football because football is the best. And so in that episode, where they're talking about geek culture, there is a segment here where uh, a guy named Bubba decides he's going to use video gaming as ministry. Because I have found, as my nephews have grown up, you can meet random people on the internet and play games together. You, uh, I think they're called lobbies, you can be waiting to play a game and there are people in in the lobby and in the chat and you come across people. And so his idea was, I, ha- I do love this gaming thing. I'm good at it, by the way. He's my age with a wife. And I'm, I, I want to redeem it. I want to redeem the time. And so I'm going to use it for ministry and try to make connections and have gospel conversations to which I would say uh, an affirmation. Because almost everything can be good in balance, that almost everything can be good and affirmed in its rightful place, then okay, I get it. Um, you're into video games. Don't spend too much time on it. But I can I can hear someone saying, but while I'm doing it, I want to redeem it by making connections for a gospel purpose. The same thing I would say to someone like me. I There was one year I played in a flag football league. Of course, yes, I just wanted to play in a flag football league because I wanted to play football in a in a context where no one's allowed to hit me. Well, I also wanted to make some connections for gospel purposes. Some of you might get involved in other things, and you don't have that mindset, and I would encourage it. As you go through life, you act out the Christian life by looking for connections for purposes of the gospel, as you take your kids to dance class and to karate class, and as you are involved in the PTA, and as you go to work, and all the different parts of life. We are looking for opportunity to grow the kingdom. And so to this guy, I would just affirm, okay, great. You want to use whatever gaming time you have for gospel purposes the best you can. Cool, I'm into that. For me, it's my commute. I I choose to continue to live in a place that is 45 minutes from where I work. So an hour and a half of my life, almost every day of my life, I'm going to spend driving. Now it's up to me. Do I use that as entertainment? Do I use that for personal development, spiritual discipleship, spiritual development? I want to redeem that time in my life. And that's what this guy is saying. Now, there's, so that that uh, eth- ethic is to be affirmed, but that can also go too far. Now, I just want to play to you, play for you some audio about when the, the wife of this man found his own, uh, he's, he's found this purpose that he wants to use gaming for uh for for ministry. I think the clip I'm about to play for you is when one of the hosts of the show actually says that they have some skepticism of this plan. But I'm gonna play for that play that for you now from the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. Yeah. Well it turns out you're not the only one that was skeptical. His wife Anna was also skeptical. And the reason she was skeptical was because video games had been a point of contention ever since they got married. Here's Anna. And he was spending hours and hours and hours gaming and like i would go to bed alone a lot like i was just really bitter about it and angry about it because it was like i didn't realize that you gamed this much and you never told me that you gamed this much and i really didn't get married to just go to bed alone every night now we know that there are like plenty of women who are also gamers but that isn't anna's story like that's not her thing you know she didn't grow up playing video games, and honestly, she struggled to see why so much value was being placed in them. There is this association or this importance in my mind of productivity and that you need to be able to show something for your time, the time that you spend. But it, like, at the same time, you know, she wanted to be supportive of her husband. Okay, I, it's so good here, but I have to cut it off to do several things. One, this Anna on this episode, if you listen to her, she's a like she's a warrior and she's the she is got the demeanor of a really good woman. Unbelievably patient, supportive and tries to tries to help without leading. It's a hard thing to do where you can help somebody without leading and influence somebody without leading when it's not your role and man, she's she was a strong one. Now, you heard two things that I wanted to get to. One. I actually really resonated with the last part of that there is something deep in me that says if you cannot show what you did with your time then you are not a person today there's something in some of us me and Anna for example there's something deep in us that says every day when you get up justify your existence do something today to justify your existence and if you weren't productive and you didn't get things accomplished you did not justify your existence today and why are you on this earth now that's too much that's too heavy And even in the episode, Anna kind of realizes that productivity doesn't have to be 24-7. Now, for some of us, it does. I get quite antsy if I'm not accomplishing something. Sitting down and doing nothing bothers me. And it's, hey, listen, that's too much. That's not good. That's a bad quality of mine. I've got to find the balance for doing something. Some of you, gentlemen, listen to me. Some of you have the opposite problem. You are very comfortable with not producing anything. You have maybe taken the cultural ethic that if you worked your 40 hours for the week, you have done what you need to do. And so I'm not asking you to be me. I am saying, look around, look around your own household, look at your marriage, your relationships, your parenting, and ask, is there anything else I need to do? Because, gentlemen, I I think this is true. Matt Chandler said this many times, the pastor down in the Village Church in Dallas. I like when he says, the Lord created us men to go to bed tired. If you're antsy going to bed, you didn't do enough today. Go after it. Get stuff done. The Lord made us to cultivate, to create, to work. That's part of before the fall. Before the fall and sin in the garden, we were made to work. And that doesn't just include your 40-hour week. Remember, we just made that up. Americans made that up, the 40-hour week. The i—the idea that your your work is confined to just those 40 hours is a made-up thing of your culture. The, the Now, I think it's a good thing. I think it's awesome that we made it up so that we only have to spend 40 hours making a living, largely. But there's work to do at home, and it's joyous work. So that's that's one part. What's her statement about productivity? But the first part of that clip where she said, he spent hours and hours and and hours and playing that she'd go to bed alone every night. Now, I do want to call that out. I'm not not even going to do do it all that nicely. Sir, have a hobby, man. You know, if your hobby is, what is it called, Fortnite? Or your hobby is, uh, I'm thinking of the games my nephews have told me about. Destiny or, I don't know, Mario Kart, whatever it is. Okay, that's that's fine. But think about the time that you give to your hobby and think about what's appropriate and how much time your, your bride deserves, your kids deserve. For, for me, during a work week, my uh, leisure is between 30 minutes and an hour. I think 30 minutes and an hour for a grown man is enough time for me to decompress, turn off my brain. For me, that usually looks like at the end of the day, sitting down with the dogs and watching an episode of something that I'm going through or getting on YouTube and watching something that I want to learn or find interesting. That is the the leisure for me. Weekends are different. I can stretch that out some. And I'm not asking you to be me again, but I am saying budget your time. Look at your 24 hours. How much time did I spend to sleep? How much time did I uh give to my commute getting ready how much time did i use on productivity at home how much time did i give to those that i love and i'm supposed to take care of now ladies i need to address something on this too it's something i wanted to say to anna because again i liked anna on this episode i thought she was the most level-headed rational reasonable person i just had a i was a huge fan of how she handled all this stuff if you uh if you have not done the love languages the five love languages it's worth doing, and it's worth doing in both directions. Because here's something that became very clear to me: this Anna has a love language of called quality time. She feels, and a lot, I found a lot of women feel this. They associate, gentlemen, the time you spend with them is commiserate to how much, or corresponds to how much you care for them. And gentlemen, for us, that is not typically how we show affection. It's, it's some of the other ones. But time, just not doing anything, you just want me to be where you are. That is affection. Like even the way you hear me saying it, it's absurd to me that just being in the same place. This is affection. Okay, uh, that sounds insane to me. But if that is how your brain works, okay, that's fine. That's that's what I'll do. We'll just be in the same place. But ladies, also have some patience for that recognize that just because all the time is going to a hobby it doesn't mean that he doesn't care it just means he has a hobby he enjoys it he probably thinks he's done a great job of showing you affection because he has provided in or at least half of the family's income or something he because he's because he has provided and protected or because he has uh, what are some of the other love languages because he has said affirming things or gives great thoughtful gifts and he's he thinks he's doing a great job but for you it, the whole thing is spend time with me so you got got to talk that out but just, so both sides there there's some things to think about in particular for adults when it comes to video games I don't want to shame it I don't want to say get off those video games men and go be men you've got some space for uh you've got some space for leisure just keep it in good balance I'll, I'll give you one personal example of this one of my best friends uses his leisure time to hunt. It takes a lot of time to drive where you're going, to sit in the woods. He His hobby is well balanced with the rest of his life. He doesn't do it too much. Some men do it too much. They basically abandon their families during hunting season because this is their hobby. They love it, and it's all they do besides work. But he keeps it in really good balance. I have other friends whose hobbies are video games. That's, they're grown men with wives and kids. That's their thing. I don't respect or disrespect one over the other. That's your hobby. That's your fun stuff. Just keep it in balance. Keep it in balance with the rest of your, the duties that you have. Uh, okay, we got to keep moving here. Oh, I, I, did, I, I spent too much time on that. Let's do this one. I saw the most dishonest NBC headline, and I just want to tell you about it. You know, on your Facebook app oh, – some of you don't know this because you don't have Facebook – but at the bottom, they have like a, a tab for groups and a tab for notifications. And there's a tab for news. I clicked my news tab or tap my news tab. And I saw the headline from NBC News that said something to the effect of, oh, yeah, it was towns with Confederate monuments see more hate crimes. And I was like, whoa, in like 2021. That's crazy. I would have never expected there to be a correlation between that. And then I tapped the story to read it. And I just need you to know a lot of the headlines you read are just so dishonest. As soon as I started reading it, oh I just found it again. Here's how it actually goes. Um, even the first sentence is dishonest. Places with more Confederate monuments tend to oh, here he goes. The places with more Confederate monuments tend to also have a history of more lynchings. You get that? A history. And then it tells you that, published by the National Academy of Science, uh, Sciences, the study analyzed county-level lynching data involving people from 1832 to 1950. Okay, so you're giving me data from 100 years ago or up to 70 years ago? But your headline is just, Where there are Confederate monuments, there are more hate crimes. Well, of course there were. 70 years ago, you dishonest. Uh, some, sometimes it's media. They kill me. I'm almost out of time, and I absolutely wanted to do this last part. One of the more prominent churches in Greenville is First Presbyterian downtown, Greenville. Recently, their lead pastor, Dr. Gebbins, asked me to lunch. We went to Trio downtown, it, and it was a blast. It became obvious to me, something that's very rare. He didn't want anything from me, which is very rare when people ask me to lunch. Usually, usually they do want something from me. It's, it's happened a few times that they don't. And those people have become friends. But he obviously just wanted to mentor, to pour into. It it hit me that that's also a role that I get to play for young men, both my nephews and then also some young guys at North Greenville who ask me about stuff, ask me about life. They look for counsel. And there's that very virtuous cycle that I just wanted to end today by telling you that was a cool experience for me. like It was a cool experience for me that I, I got to go eat with this guy, and I found that most of the staff in there knew him. He knew their names. He knew their stories. Some of them very dramatic stories of history of prison and addiction. And they they called him pastor when he was in there. Like, he's got a reputation. He was well thought of. And it was obvious that he cared about these people. And it was just a good word for me. Hey, in- involve yourself in-, in more people's lives. Be cognizant. And just that virtuous cycle then. Find someone to pour into you. And as you develop or into someone else, the things that you've learned and the, the gifts God has given you. It's just a good experience. It's one that we can replicate throughout our lives, and I encourage you to do it. I'll be back next week with another new edition of the show. Until then, everybody, peace and love.